Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode 17 of season five. The reason I'm confused is that I had a completely different plan for this week's episode. I was planning to release an interview I had with Marcus Brotherton and Tosca Lee, but we're going to push pause on that until next week because I have run into major technical difficulties that I've never dealt with before in terms of um, the recording. So hopefully we can get that all worked out and end the season with Marcus and Tosca's conversation with me um, because it's a great one. But since it didn't work out for this week, I'm going to bless you with a replay of one of my most popular episodes ever, which was a conversation I had with Tracy Peterson last summer. Now, of course, the book we talk about released last year, but it's still a good book. And it also seems like a good time to re-release this episode because just on Tuesday, Tracy Peterson's book with Kimberly Woodhouse, their latest book together called The Heart's Choice just released. So um, I can link to that in the the show notes. And um, I can also link to the episode I had with Kimberly Woodhouse earlier this season. Um, And we can hopefully get back to regular business next week. But in the meantime, enjoy this conversation I had last summer with Tracy Peterson. Tracy, thank you for joining me on the show today. That's quite all right. I'm honored to be here. You have a new series releasing this year called Love on the Santa Fe. The first book, Along the Rio Grande, came out in March, and the second, Beyond the Desert Sands, released July 5th. Can you tell me about this series? This series was born out of my passion for railroad. (laughs) I uh, grew Uh up with family members who worked for the Santa Fe, and have just always loved trains. And so many times in different books that I've written, I include railroad stories or uh, characters Mm -hmm. who are working for the railroad. And in this particular setting of San Marce, New Mexico, which is a ghost town now, there's very little there except a cemetery. uh, It was at one time a hub for the Santa Fe on that particular division of the, the uh, railroad. And so I thought it made for a fun setting for the book. Right. So um, what makes this series stand out from the other books you've written? I think for me, the, the series, again, took me back to the passion I have for the railroad. And mm-hmm. a lot of the research and reading and whatnot was uh, fun because it reminded me of stories I'd heard from family members or friends who worked on the railroad. So that made the the research all the more special to me. And uh, I think just given my passion for story, I felt like this series was something I wanted to do to share a variety of characters and their conflicts that inevitably had to do with making dealing with the past so that they could have a better future. Interesting. So you mentioned wanting to set a a series around the railroad. And 
What made you choose that particular town in New Mexico as the setting? Sure. I had written a novella for Bethany House with some other ladies, and I had chosen Mm. San Marseille for my setting. And as I researched, I just found that there was so much more I wanted to utilize in that town's history. They were a major uh, hub, and the town was set south of uh, Albuquerque, Mm -hmm. and they were a division headquarters for the Santa Fe Railroad. So they had several thousand people living there. It was quite the place. And then just in a few years, due to floods and, and other problems, everybody just moved away and and this town just dissolved. So I thought it was kind of interesting, made it fun to, to work with that. Yeah, that is interesting. Now you have, these books are releasing only a few months apart. So we're going to focus on the most recent, the beyond the desert sands. Can you tell me about that novel? Absolutely. This story deals with a young woman, Isabella Garcia, And she's Mm -hmm. uh, part Spanish, part American, and just a beautiful, spoiled young woman (laughs) who has (sighs) given her parents no end of grief because she doesn't want to live in this tiny town that uh, her father has created, which is Silver Vale, New Mexico. It's fictional, but it's there were multiple silver mines in the area. So I just made up our own little town for the story. And Isabella doesn't want to live there, but her parents are are just really wanting her to be there. She's been staying with her aunt out in California. And so when they request her come home for Christmas, she begrudgingly goes only to find out Mm. that this is the end. She's going to be staying there. So along those lines she has an escort from her father and that is our hero Aaron Bailey and what's really cool about my characters in this story they are the actual names of a young woman who won a contest I had and the prize was to have a character named after her (laughs) oh wow that's cool so her her husband's name Aaron Bailey and, and she's Isabella Garcia Bailey that's interesting. So I hope that doesn't give away too much about the book. <laughs> no, I don't think most people know that I write romance. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about the Isabella Garcia in your story and her background? Sure. She's an only child and she's definitely, as I mentioned, spoiled. Mm-hmm. But that spoiling is more along the lines of I think she becomes that way because of her fears in life. She feels that she has very little say or control over her life. And so she's passionate for having something to show for more than just what people tell her to do. And as the story evolves, she starts to see the value in people around her, including her parents And so this character definitely has a growing up to do in the story. And a lot of Mm -hmm. that has to do with dealing with her past because of her frustration that 
her parents moved her away from California and the family home there to bring her to the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. Right. And is she, um, I believe somewhere I read, like, is her father Mexican, but her mother yes. is not? He's Spanish. I the- Spanish. Mexican. Oh, Spanish. Spanish. Okay. Yes. There, were, there were a lot of wealthy Spaniards in, uh, in California at the time who had uh, right, right. family estates and whatnot. So I thought it would be fun to do that and give her uh, a white mother. Then we would have a mixed race child. And with everything going on in the world, I think that uh, it was something that I could show that in this case was not nearly the problem that it might have been had they been poor. Mm. But because the family was very wealthy, oh wow, their approval was better than might have been otherwise. However, the mother, uh, her family was dead set against the marriage and had nothing more to do with mm. her after that. So Isabella knows that history to a degree. And so right. that also affected who she is and how she responds to life. Right. Um, so your male protagonist, Aaron Bailey, you mentioned, yes, he works for the Santa Fe Railroad. And why did you choose? I know that you wanted to set everything around the railroad. So is that why you chose that profession for him? Yes. What exactly was his profession? And <laughs> When we discussed the series, Bethany House uh, encouraged me to have each of the heroes involved with the railroad or to have the heroine. And so his job was to deal with more of the office side of things. The hero, the hero in the first book was a, a boiler maker and dealt with the hands-on mechanical aspect of working in the rail yards. Whereas with my hero, Aaron Bailey, he's working out of the office headquarters and he deals with some of the spur line leases that were created to provide rail service to little tiny towns off of the main line. And so uh, he is often in Silvervale where the story is set because of the spur line that goes from the main line to this little fictional silver town. Through that, he's become very close to uh, Isabella's father and mother. And so Uh, almost like a son to them. Interesting. So what do you hope readers will gain from reading Beyond the Desert Sands? Well, first and foremost, I hope they enjoy it. I hope they just have a good time reading and and enjoy the story. Next, I I often talk about how I want my books to accomplish three E's, and that would be entertainment, education, and encouragement. And so I want to in- educate mm. them with uh, the history of that area, things that were going on, uh, attitudes, culture, that type of thing. Right. And lastly, I want to encourage them in the Lord. I see my writing as a ministry. And so as I work on the stories, I pray a lot over them about the message, Mm -hmm. about the character development, about the things that that will go into the story to encourage the reader. Right. That's wonderful. It's a great um, way to approach it. 
So what are you working on now? Can you tell us about that? Right now I am working on a new series that will come out in March of next year. And uh, the series is set around the uh, Alaska-Yukon Pacific Exposition of 1909 in Seattle, Washington. Wow. So how many are in this series, the Santa Fe series? There will be three. My series are always in sets of three. Sometimes they're independent and uh, stand alone as they do in Love on on the Santa Fe. Uh, The new series is called Pictures of the Heart, and there will be three independent books, but all will deal with the expo and uh, a fictional group of, of characters that are working at the fair itself. Okay. Wow. So interesting. So most of your series, do they connect only through kind of like Santa Fe one connects because of the railroad, the Santa Fe, um, and, and this other one connects because of the, the fair. I do write dependent series is what I call them. Okay. Where one book builds on top of the other. These just happen to be both independent series. Okay. Interesting. Tracy, have you always loved to write? Can you tell me about how you got started and about, yeah, about how you became published for the first time? I always credit my mom with, with building that passion in me for writing. When I was a little girl, she'd give me a piece of paper and a pencil when we were in church because there wasn't children's church. Mm. And she would tell me to write her a story. And afterwards, she was really smart. She, she would call me over and, and afterwards asked me to tell her what my story was. And so I developed storytelling because I knew I would have her undivided attention for a few minutes. <laughs> and that, yes. I, you know, I can't help but credit her with developing that. Uh, but I got my first contract in 1992, and my first published book was in 1993. And that has been the start of just a tremendous career ministry. Well, I think I, I have you published over 100 books? I mean, yes, I just I think turned I was in, counting. Up. Just turned in book 130. What? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That I can't even imagine. Um and that's in 30 years. Yes. 130 books. Wow. I average 3 to 5 a year. That's to me I can't even imagine being that prolific. That's amazing for that long period of time. So you've been called the queen of historical fiction, but you've written both historical and contemporary fiction, right? So do you prefer one over the other or how does that work? I definitely prefer the historical. The historical is a passion for me, partly because I have just always loved history. It's probably been my favorite subject in school besides writing. And My husband is a historian, so I was able to hire him on to help me with research. So we work together Mm -hmm. and have very much enjoyed that. Yes, it's been it's been a lot. Well, that helps with the the how time. I'm thinking with historical fiction producing three to five books a year. Mm -hmm. I guess it would help if your husband is your research partner. Yes, he's helped a great historicals can be research heavy. Plus, we, uh, whenever we travel, I mean, a lot of times we're both looking out for stories and he'll come up with something and, and 
tell me, oh, you, you might want to consider writing about this area because of this, you know, and that is oh, extremely wow. helpful. Yeah, I'm sure you're kind of like the perfect team. We have been. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? That is a good question. I think the biggest thing I would point to is that there's nothing new under the sun. Attitudes that were there in the 1800s are still with us. <laughs> there was still the attitude mm. of, you know, uh, complications with race, complications with women versus men, the complications of child abuse and and physical abuse in domestic yeah. situations. Uh, nothing's changed. It's all still there because people are people and sin is sin. Mm. And so what I find is that I can write about those time periods and still have things that are applicable to today and the things that people might be going through right now. And a lot of those things might, might just be uh, they're mourning a loss or they're struggling with uh, addiction or they're struggling to overcome sin in general. And the hope that I have is Christ. And so I want to put that in the story. And it's been my goal since I started to be able to weave in the gospel message in a believable and open way that's not preachy. And then also show, share biblical right. application. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, I was going to ask more about your mission as a writer and I, but I think you've covered it. Do you have anything else that you feel you want to say about that? I know from the letters I receive, uh, the fan mail, that the stories make a mm -hmm. big difference in people's lives. I've had people tell me that they reconsidered suicide. Oh, I've had goodness. people tell me that they got cleaned up on drugs. And one one little girl in particular, she I say little, she was under 18, had run away from home yeah. because of her drug addiction. And ended up in a mission uh, and they had my books there and she started reading oh. and she said it gave her the strength and the courage to go home and get her act cleaned up, you know, and things like that. Boy, you just can't beat it no. to know that, that you had helped in some small way. And uh, so I've had, I've had letters that have just really touched me so very deeply and I know that the stories are definitely working in the way that I had hoped they would, where they would touch people's lives and offer encouragement, and as well as pointing people to the Lord. I had one, one letter where the girl uh, wrote to me and said, I've never been interested in religion. I'm not a Christian, but you made me look at some hard questions. And so you know, mm -hmm. it's just the way the Lord plants seeds. And I appreciate that I get to be a part of that. Right. That's, it must just feel so fulfilling. You know, it's one thing to write an entertaining story, as you said, but to know that you touched and changed somebody's life, yes. multiple people's lives has to be just, it's very so amazing to, to know sure. that, that I was going to say, yeah, humbling, but just to know that God used you in that way. That's truly amazing. And it's wonderful. And, and I'm sure it gives you more, um, you know, motivation to keep going with what you're doing. It does. 
Well, Tracy, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? They can uh, go to my website, which is www.tracypeterson.com. Or they can go to my Facebook page, which is facebook.com backslash author Tracy Peterson. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been wonderful. You bet. I had a lot of fun. So my friends, I know that you must have enjoyed that conversation. I thought it just got better the longer it went and I didn't want to end it, but you know, you have to eventually. So if you would like to get Tracy's books, go to the show notes. There are links there to her social media and you can find out all about her in the show notes, which you can find either in your podcatcher app or at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. So I thought it was very interesting that last week, Fiona Davis mentioned that there's nothing new in history. And this week, Tracy Peterson brought up, there's nothing new under the sun. So I want to share where that quote came from originally. It was King Solomon in the Bible. The thing that hath been is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. So there's some King James for you. But just because there is no new thing under the sun does not mean we should stop reading historical fiction. So keep reading it, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week. 